The World Cup is five months away, and the U.S. men's national team is all over Brazil. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. With me, as always, is Ivis Galarsa. What's up, buddy? Doing pretty well, Garrett. Uh, recovering from a little bit of a w- illness over the weekend. I mm-hmm. think it been the uh, just the residue effect of the combine and MLS draft uh, doubleheader catching up to me, but I'm recovered. I'm back. I'm ready to roll. I, I told you, man, it was too much partying in Florida. That's that's why you got sick. I don't know if I can say partying. It was a lot of networking, <laughs> a lot of uh, working sources, and hanging out with some friends in the business. Uh, but it was a good time. Good time there. Good time in Philly. Uh, but yeah, for those who are wondering where where uh, where Monday is, kind of breakdowns on the draft and whatnot. Uh, that that got delayed a bit thanks to the illness, which wiped me out for the weekend. But uh, we have the second part of the draft taking place on Tuesday. So uh, after that, I will provide the full breakdown of all 19 teams. Yes, and that's also why this show is late. So, Ivis, and I apologize on that. But, hey, we got the show going back. Uh, Ivis, tons of things, that, various things to talk about in this show. We'll, we'll get into all that uh, a little later on. But, but as we mentioned at the beginning, the World Cup is five months away, less than five months away, Ivis, and the U.S. men's national team is already in Brazil. Jurgen Klinsmann having the team go down there, playing some friendlies, staying in their hotel, preparing them for what they're going to expect five months from now. And, uh, Ivis, you know, they played two friendlies already against a team from Sao Paulo. You know, kind of give us kind of the latest on, on the U.S. men's national team and the happenings going down in Brazil. Well, I mean, as, as most U.S. fans know, uh, Klinsman took the full 26-player group down to, uh, to Sao Paulo. Uh, and they're they're touring Brazil. They've played. They they've been in camp together, training. They they've had a few uh, scrimmages uh, against the Sao Paulo uh, team, the club team, uh, first team and second team. Uh, I believe they won their match on Monday, which was against, uh, from what I read, a reserve team. So you can't really take too much out of it. And really, it's not about results. It's just about. It's really it's really a bonding trip and a, a chance for players to get familiar with each other. A chance for some of the newer faces to get acclimated to that whole scene, the whole national team setup, and also for for the players who are likely to go to Brazil in the summer, it gives them a chance to to, to get used to the environment and 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 learn the surroundings. Not not just in Sao Paulo where the team will be based, but also they they visited uh, some of the venues that they're going to play in. Uh, they they visited the venue where they're going to play Ghana and the venue where they're going to play Germany. So you know, I know some people might wonder just what that means, how important that is, but. I tell you what, it does mean something to be able to go there and 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 take it in and and and, and know what it's about before you go there. So when you go there in five months, it's less of a shock to the system. You kind of know what to expect, mm-hmm. and, and I think you know what I think. There's value in that, and I think Jurgen's done a good job of that. Has done a good job with the U.S. men's national team, and and this is the same thing with the players. Ivis, him bringing in younger guys, not playing them right away, but kind of getting them comfortable, being around the guys, kind of easing them in slowly. And we've seen this with Jurgen, and I mean, it's worked out with various things that he's done in the past. So I mean, you have to be hopeful that something like this pays off, pays dividends down in uh, down in June. Right. I mean, I don't know if anyone expect, expects a huge advantage, but you know what? When it comes to the World Cup, even the smallest advantage, you, you do what you have to do to, to earn those little advantages. And, and I think this whole camp setup, you know, in, in L.A. and now in Brazil, uh, even though they're not playing any, any serious games until that friendly against South Korea, mm-hmm. I just think the entire camp is going to be a great opportunity, especially for the new faces and these younger guys, uh, to see if they can sink or swim. When you talk about guys like Luis Gill, DeAndre Edlin, Shane O'Neill, you know, players who have never been in the senior team setup, and now they're going up against the best of the best. And 
Uh, all three of those guys obviously were starters this year. Luis Gill's been a multi-year starter in MLS, so he's, he's not exactly a rookie. But, you know, Shane O'Neill, DeAndre Edlin, their first full years as starters, uh, it's probably going to be a different experience for them. So, you know, uh, it's probably a stretch to expect any of those guys to play their way all the way into mm-hmm. the real World Cup radar. But, you know, if you're Klinsman and you've signed on now all the way through 2018, you know, you're looking at those young guys and, and you know, you would like to see maybe one of them emerge and, and show that they can hang with the with the older players. But at the same time, you're also trying to groom those guys long term and see them as options for not only the uh, 2018 World Cup down the road, but also the Olympics in 2016. Well, as you mentioned, the roster, I mean, Jurgen's called in a lot of different guys. Last year around this time, guys like Brad Evans, Matt Beasler, they were looking to break into the into the squad, and now they're looking to solidify their spot. You just mentioned a lot of younger guys, obviously, like, like Luis Gill. I mean, are you hearing of anyone that's impressed so far in the camp? Uh, still waiting for his word to trickle up from Brazil. I mean, I know Juan Dalowski has is, is, is found the net down there. But again, you can't. Uh, I think once they come back from the camp, mm-hmm. I think word will start to circulate just who impressed, who really boosted their stock. And I think we'll see uh, by the lineup that Klinsman put, puts out there against South Korea, uh, just uh, you know, just who impressed them the most, and just who really, uh, really stood out and, and, and won those battles that that are definitely taking place right now for starting roles on in this group. And uh, we also didn't talk about it, but the U.S. men's national team has also scheduled a friendly against Ukraine on the road. So once again, I mean, we see Jurgen taking the team, U.S. men's national team, back to Europe on the road, which, I mean, I love it every time they play in Europe. Well, I do normally love it, but, you know, the Ukraine is uh, in a bit of a tough spot right now. I mean, I think there's some kind of political strife there, and, and there's some questions about just the timing of it all and whether it's the right time to go to Ukraine. And, uh, you know, we it, it's kind of some deja vu there because if you remember, the U.S. was supposed to play Egypt at one point and uh, that didn't pan out mm-hmm. uh, because of the same, you know, issues uh, with political upheaval in Egypt when, when that happened. And hopefully, hopefully this doesn't happen again. Hopefully whatever is happening in Ukraine can get sorted out and uh, kept under control and we can have a game again with the U.S. facing a good opponent in Ukraine. Ukraine's a tough team. Uh, you know they they were right there in the playoffs and 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 they're they're not going to be a pushover and that'll be a great another a great experience for the full group to 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 play on European soil against tough uh, soil against tough opponents. I believe Ukraine was one of the highest uh, ranked FIFA teams not to qualify uh, qualify for the World Cup. That friendly is on March fifth, but more importantly, Ivis, when are you taking your trip to Brazil, your pregame trip to Brazil for the World Cup? <laughs> well, you know it's funny. Uh, this weekend, uh, actually, uh, mostly Sunday evening, I was really starting to kind of look at, at plans. Uh, you know, part of last week, you know, we had some meetings about World Cup travel and credentials and, and, and arranging all that and arranging the, 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 the travel plans. And it's, it's definitely, as much as we have, we're getting a lot of help with that. Uh, with U.S. soccer and, and working with us, us on travel accommodations, when I, it, it's it's a it's a crazy process, and, and just w- looking at it all and looking at the map of Brazil and where all the games are and just how far apart these matches are, uh, it's just kind of a reminder of how crazy it's going to be for the U.S. team and for U.S. fans going down to Brazil. I mean, it, it, I mean, these games are so far apart. Um, obviously, if you're not with the U.S. team, you don't have to worry about going to Sao Paulo you know, back and forth to Sao Paulo. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a U.S. fan, you're staying up in the north, 
Uh, you're going to be spending some time on the beach, and, and you probably, you know, at some point, if you're lucky enough, you're going to head through the Amazon and go to Manaus. And uh, I tell you what, I'm I'm obviously looking forward to it. You know, just I mean, I'm already itching to, to pull the trigger on on some of the flights that uh, that I'm going to have to book, and it, it's going to be a great experience. And I can tell you right now, it, it's not you know for anyone who's already looking, you know, five months out. Uh, it's it's true what they're saying as far as the prices being gouged, and you want to hope that you know there's some sanity uh, there, and the prices start to get down to normal. I mean, I've seen it through the years. This is going to be my fourth World Cup, and you know I've seen that whole cycle where where the flight the the prices fluctuate, hotel hotel costs, flight costs, and you know there's that battle that goes on with local governments and these companies to try to keep them in line, keep them from taking advantage of the public. So, I mean, I, I mean, it's a tough one because you want to tell people to be patient, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you don't want people to miss out, right? You don't want people to, to, to wait too long and all of a sudden they, they can't get a flight or they can't find hotels. And, and I mean, I've already, I tell you what, I started looking at, I started looking at hotels in Rio for the final and uh, it was already a little, a little touch and go. There wasn't much to choose from already. I mean, we're, I mean, you know, hey, it's the World Cup final, obviously. Uh, I'm sure people were, were, were locking up hotels immediately after you know it was known the final would be there which was even before december uh but it's uh it's gonna test everybody's uh everybody's ability to travel and to plan for travel even those of us who have a lot of experience traveling uh if anyone has a hookup uh to brazil just contact ivis their twitter <laughs> yeah i got i got i got rooms everywhere i got Actually, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to get an RV and, uh-huh. and, and just and just oh, roll around Brazil. Like, uh, oh my god! I'm, I'm going to be doing Breaking Bad style, minus the meth lab. I'm, we're just going to do it up. We're just, nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, although I tell you what, I you know, it, it's done. I mean, I should just rent a car for the second part of the tournament because once the U, whenever the U.S. is out, whether it's the round round of 16, group stage, quarterfinal, uh, once they're out, I'll probably be based in Brasilia, where my uh, where my grandfather lives, and spending some time with the family there. And there are quite a few games in the north, uh, where, wherever you know, in Brasilia and near Brasilia. Uh-huh. So uh, I'll be taking those games in, and uh, you know, I, I might just try to get a car. I might just buy a car in Brazil, put a billion miles on it, and then just leave it there. I think I might try that. Why didn't Why didn't you say that that them leaving after the semifinals or finals? Well. Listen, if that goes on, I'll, uh, if that goes on, I, and then I'll, I'll worry about it then. It'll be it'll be a big party. But wait, speaking wait. realistically, you know, it's probably quarterfinals. I think I think most U.S. fans would be pretty happy if the U.S. gets to the quarterfinals. Uh, which World Cup was the worst for price gouging? Uh, good question. Good question. I mean, I think Germany of the three that I've been to, uh-huh. I mean, that, South Korea was pretty reasonable. Uh, South Africa, I, I think there was some of that, but but I, I was able to to you know work around it and and, and kind of combine joy forces with some people. I actually rented a house. Uh, we were doing it up real world Johannesburg style in South Africa uh, with myself and uh, you know another writer and a couple of friends. Uh, you know we oh, you know I was there, I was there for a month and it was great. You know we were, were maybe a half hour outside Johannesburg. We drive into the U.S. Uh, you know the U.S. interviews, uh, and and then almost all the the great thing about the South Africa was all the U.S. games were in relative proximity. You know they were all in 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 a, not far. They were all drivable um, from Johannesburg. So it was perfect. So I stayed up there for a month. It was great. And then when it was over, when the U.S. was out, you know I went down to Cape Town, spent time there. Beautiful, amazing city. Uh, and then came back up north and, uh, you know, took in the final. Um, it was great. And it, it, this is one thing I would say. Um, 
you know, before the 2010 World Cup, there was so much talk about, oh, you know, you know, it's it's dangerous. Yeah. It's, all this and that. And that's not to say there aren't dangers. It's not to say that it's 100 percent safe. Brazil's not 100. percent Look, there, there's obviously issues. But, you know, I, you know, I, I just think you have to be careful anywhere you go, mm-hmm. um, especially but, overseas. Right. Exactly. And so. I, I, for the horror stories you're going into South Africa, I had an amazing time there, and the people were great. And you just have to be smart. And uh, I think the same goes for Brazil and and here. And I I just hope the Brazilians get the price gouging in line, because but at the same time it's a demand thing. When you took when you think about South America, you think about fans not only from the teams that are playing in the World Cup, not only the Chileans, the Argentines, the Colombians, not only the teams that are in the World Cup, and then the, you know, obviously the host Brazil, but then you know. It doesn't matter where else you're from. Well, obviously Ecuador or, or even Peruvian. Like my, I have family in Peru. They plan on going. They like everyone in South America wants to go to Brazil. So that that causes prices to rise, the demand. So I, I would just tell people, you know, if you see something that seems reasonable, jump on it. Um, but if something seems really out of control, then then wait. You know, that, that's all I can say. I mean, I think I think that's the only way to go about it. Who knew our listeners were going to attend Econ Class and Business 101 with Professor Ivis Galarsep on this show? Hey, it's, tra- it's travel. It's World Cup Travel <laughs> 101, and uh, it's five months away. But you know what? You can never start too soon. That is, This is very true. Well, Ivis, the first and second rounds of the MLS draft were five days ago on Thursday. The third and fourth rounds are later this week, the third round starting on Tuesday. But before we get into all of that, there's a little bit of a situation brewing after the draft that you broke first on Goal.com, and that is Andre Lewis, the Vancouver Whitecaps, and the New York Cosmos. I think most people have probably read up on this, but for people who haven't, Ivis, what is going on with this situation? Well, uh, I, I've covered it pretty thoroughly on Goal on Goal.com, but for those of you who either you know missed it or kind of want a little bit more clarification on it, basically what it boils down to is this. The new uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps drafted Andre Lewis on Thursday, and he was not signed to a contract by MLS at that time. Uh, the New York Cosmos signed Andre Lewis, uh, a player who they had, had they had in camp with them in November. They took on uh, a tour to Spain with them. He played with them in Spain. He's someone they knew they were they were well aware of, and they signed him. They signed him, from what I understand, they signed him actually on draft day. Uh, before he signed with the Whitecaps. And uh, the issue is, obviously, the Vancouver Whitecaps thought Andre Lewis was signed to MLS when he was not signed to MLS. Mm-hmm. This caused a serious issue because once the Cosmos landed, once the Cosmos had him under contract, it was going to create a mess because, obviously, the Whitecaps thought they had drafted a player who was they were going to have no issues with bringing in and making one of their players. Um, so, you know, for those of you who haven't read, it basically boils down to MLS dropped the ball on this, and they can paint it any way they want, mm-hmm. but it, but they made the mistake. They didn't sign the player, and then the league informed teams that the league had signed the player. So teams went into this draft believing Andre Lewis was an MLS player under an MLS contract, and teams, any team in the league could have drafted him, and any team in the league could have ended up in this situation. And it's an ugly mess now because MLS basically has to figure out a way to clean up this mess. They're going to have to pay the transfer fee. They're going to have to pay the loan fee, whatever it takes. The the Cosmos pretty much have them over a barrel right now because the Cosmos don't have to make any deal. Uh, They don't have to to agree to anything. He's their player. He's under contract. And for those of you who aren't aware, the 
Cosmos and the NASL don't exactly have the best relationship with MLS. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of an adversarial relationship there because the NASL is obviously the second-tier league that doesn't see itself as a second-tier league and wants to compete with MLS. And and obviously in MLS, you have two New York teams where you're going to have a second New York team. They do not care for the Cosmos. They, they love it if the Cosmos didn't exist. So the fact that they actually have to do business with the Cosmos, they have to address the Cosmos, they have to actually mention and identify the Cosmos, something you never see the league do, not in statements, not on their league website. You, to that, you know what? If you go to the MLS website, the Cosmos generally don't exist uh, in that world. So it tells you just what a mess this has become. And uh, I, I tell you what, I feel I know some people, I know a lot of people, especially in Canada, are ripping the Whitecaps. They're crushing the Whitecaps, especially because this comes on the heels of the Camillo mess. But I would say this, the Whitecaps really aren't to blame in this situation because all the Whitecaps can go on is what the league tells them. The league told them, and every team in the league, Andre Lewis is signed. Andre Lewis is an MLS player. If you want to draft him, you go ahead and draft him. That's from what my sources tell me teams were told. And obviously that was not correct. So you have a lot of teams. Not, the Whitecaps aren't the team, only team that, that's upset by this. There are owners around the league, teams around the league, that are pretty unhappy and pretty irate at all this, the way this all went down, because let's face it, any of them could have ended up in the situation yeah. that the Whitecaps, Whitecaps are, are now in. Obviously, the Whitecaps are in a, they're hitting a rough patch. They've got a lot. They've had some bad luck. Let's just put it that way lately. Because even the Camillo thing, mm -hmm. you know, they, you, you can say what you want about how much blame there was there, but you know what? At the end of the day, Camillo totally pulled a dirty move. His agent, you know, they, they finagled their way out of there, left Vancouver with little choice but to let him go. So now if you're Vancouver, you've lost your best – well, lost. They sold their best player. Mm -hmm. They did get multi-million, you know, whatever it is, 2.5 million, whatever the, the, the number is, final, whatever the final transfer fee is. But they had to sell their best player, and now they, they could theoretically lose uh, their, their, one of their first-round draft picks. And if that happens, what a disaster, what a nightmare. Uh, and at this point, all you can do if you're Vancouver is hope that MLS can come through – and clean up the mess that they made. Well, I thought it was a clever move by the New York Cosmos. And, and, and looking at this, Ivis, for, from the outside, I mean, do you see this as a isolated event, or do you see it as NASL trying to flex its muscle? Do, will we see something like this again? Or is this just a, a one-time affair? Well, I, I would say this. I, I noticed a lot of people making comments about what this means and what, you know, try to try to make it look seem like it just means more than it does. And, and it, you know what? It does. This is not... A referendum on the draft, by no means is it that, because you know what, this is one, this is an isolated case of an international player who had other options, who had trialed with other teams, and MLS didn't know about it. And, you know, it's this isn't the same thing, the same thing as if NASL or the Cosmos were actively uh, recruiting top college talent coming out of college and really trying to compete with MLS for the top college players. That would be an attack on the draft. That would be something where MLS would really have to step it up and challenge, uh, challenge the NSL, challenge the Cosmos, but that's not happening. This is an isolated case of a player that was already on the radar with the Cosmos, and MLS still could have had him. MLS, if the if MLS officials had signed Lewis to a contract during the combine, he would have been their player. And mind you, for the I mean, if those who remember, Andrew Lewis was one of the best players at the combine, one of the most impressive players after day two. He and Andre, he and Andre Blake were the two players that everyone was talking about. 
in the com- in the combine, and he still didn't sign a contract. He still whether it was, whether he was offered one and it wasn't a good offer, or whether MLS thought, you know what, we had we we we've got this player, you know, we don't have to worry about him going anywhere else. Mm-hmm. We can we can wait. Whatever happened, what it boiled down to was they never signed into a contract, and for that reason they dropped the ball. The Cosmos, you know what, they took advantage. And, and, and I think the way you got to be careful at how you can how you kind of portray the Cosmos in this because you know what they're a team looking for talent like anyone else. Yeah. And it isn't a case of oh you know what they went to the MLS Combine, uh, they went to an event that MLS held, they and they scouted Lewis, a player they'd never seen, and then they snaked him right from under MLS's nose. That definitely was not the case. He it, it is well documented. Andre Lewis had trained for some time with the Cosmos. He went to Spain with the Cosmos, played in a friendly with the Cosmos. So there were already those connections. And you can say what you want. You can say what you want about Lewis. You can say what you want about whether his how the role that his agent played in this. Because let's face it, the agent is the one who definitely knows what's going on. And you know what? At the end of the day, it seems like the agent did what was best for his client, which is, you know, he an offer didn't come from MLS or an offer that wasn't good enough. Uh, MLS didn't make a good enough offer. They took the offer from the Cosmos. They signed the contract with the Cosmos. And uh, now MLS is left to clean with the mask. Well, Ivis, the draft was on Thursday. And we did a show after the draft. And I guess some people didn't like that it was a Philadelphia Union-heavy show. So now that you've had time to kind of look at the, the draft and, and what teams did, can you give me another team besides the Philadelphia Union that had a strong draft? Well, what's funny is I would have told you on Friday. I would have told you after the draft. That Vancouver actually had, had one of the best drafts. Uh, in, when you include Christian Dean, when you ha- when you include Andre Lewis, and when you include Mamadou Diouf, who for me was one of the steals of the draft, someone who slipped in the second round. There were questions about about his play, uh, his senior year, even though the fact it was the fact was he was injured. I think he was an absolute steal. And even with this Lewis fiasco, I think getting Christian Dean and getting Mamadou Diouf. That's two quality players for them. Obviously, you hate the possi- you hate having the possibility that you could lose Lewis altogether. But if they can get him, if it could get worked out and he comes on loan or he comes in a transfer, if they get the three players they drafted that day, the Vancouver's are right there with Philly as one of the top teams on draft day. For me, if you want to talk about an individual draft day steal, for me, first round had to be Chilo Schuma to the Portland Timbers. And I tell you what, I was sitting there – Really shocked by the fact that Schumer slid the way he did. I know other players slid that people were surprised by. I was not as surprised about those players as, as, as much as I was surprised about Schumer. Not only that he slid, but that he ends up going to a team in Portland that is tailor-made for Schumer to join. Not only because he, you know, he gives he fills a, a position they need they need depth in, which a left the left forward slot in their 4-3-3. Rodney Wallace has a 20 CL, he's out till the summer. Steve Zakwani, there's still some question. You know, they obviously signed him, but there's still some question marks about where he is physically, how, how close he is to, to really coming back to being the old Steve Zakwani. Now you have a generation Adidas freshman in Sheila Shuma you can bring along. And you know what? If he's ready to rock right away, if you can, if he can, if he can hit the ground running, you know what? He could end up being a starter on the left wing uh, at left forward for the Timbers. And he goes to a place in Portland, which is perfectly set up for him. Uh, you know, African-born player. He goes to a team with that has African players on it that that you know he can obviously relate to. You talk about players like Nagby, Pamuruka, uh, uh, Footy Danzo. It's 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 a great environment for him. And and obviously Caleb Porter, you know, being the coach that he is, working with young talent. I mean, I tell you what, the folks the folks who let him slide that far, 
who are in the Western Conference could wind up really regretting that. Uh, would he be possibly a candidate for Rookie of the Year? It's tough to say. You know, it depends on Zakwani. I think if Zakwani can, can kind of prove his health and uh, and and be and get close to being the player that he was before the the, the, the gruesome uh, leg injury, I think Zakwani is going to take a bulk of the minutes on the left wing there, but uh, at the left forward role. Uh, and then obviously, you know, at some point, Ryan Wallace is going to come back. So second half of the season, you'd like to think. Wallace is going to be back in there. It's going to take him some time, obviously, to get back to the form that he showed last year. But I tell you, he, I tell you what, Schuma could absolutely be that surprise, uh, that, that player that, that, that steps in and, and, and earns minutes and, and, and shocks shocks people. And one team that I, you know, you definitely have to mention that I know a lot of people will talk about is, is having been a big winner on draft day, uh, the New England Revolution. Uh, to, to have Patrick Mullins slides to them. Uh, as late as he did, you know, he went. To, he went to number eleven. Uh, you know, some people, including myself, had him possibly going number one to DC United. Uh, and I said it all along. Patrick Jones was a player who could go number one to DC, but if he didn't go number one, he could absolutely slide. I had him sliding uh, down to six, but I didn't. Yeah, I don't think many people had him sliding all the way to eleven. And you take a team like New England. Uh, they draft him and Steve Newman. I thought Steve Newman, they drafted a little early at number four. I don't know many teams that would have gone that early on Newman. But two players, two quality attacking players that could fit in well into that attack of New England's. And if they can get one of those guys to pan out as a regular contributor, then that's a victory for New England. And Ivis, as far as the teams that, that could have done better, were there any and who were they? Well, like you know, as we know, the draft is always something that you have to look at years down the road to really see who the the true winners and losers are. But as far as uh, you know, teams that I think could have done better, I think the Red Bulls could have done better. I mean, I know they came into the draft looking to to, to add a right back, and and you can definitely argue that Chris Duvall was the third best right back in the draft. But you know, I, I didn't see him as a player who was rated as a second round player, and, and I don't know how many teams would have grabbed him in the second round. Now, obviously, if he pans out for them, they'll be. You know, I'll be happy as can be that they were able to get a player who can make their roster in the second round. But for me, I thought that was a little early. I thought they made up for it a bit with Eric Stevenson, who's a project as a left back slash left winger. You know, I think that gives them a little something. Um, but another thing that I like to, to, to include when factoring in grades and, and how a team's doing a draft is what they give up, uh, what they get to give away high draft picks. The Red Bulls gave away the Trump pick to land Bobby Convey. And let's face it, Bobby Convey is a bit of a, you know, question mark. He's someone who really hasn't latched on. He's bounced around the league. He's been on, this is now his fourth team in four years, maybe, or even three years. So I think, you know, to drop out of the first round, I think that one is a little bit of a question mark. So between that and between Crystal Vall, I think the Red Bulls are a team that I think they could have did better. Uh, Chivas USA, uh, they had one pick. They took Tommy McNamara, Tommy the Mullet McNamara from uh, from Clemson. Now he's a player who can who has some who has some good qualities. He's got some personality. He's intelligent. Uh, the reason I, I would call them, uh, you know, I'd say they're a team that could have done better, or you could say it was a draft day loser. Is Chivas USA is a team that traded away what ended up being the number two pick in the draft to the Philadelphia Union for for, for Gabe Farfan. And let's face it, Gabe Farfan has not been an impact player. Uh, worthy of the number two overall pick, which DC United ended up using. Uh, well, it turned into Philly swapped it, and Philly ended up getting Andre Blake the number one pick in the draft. So at some point down the road, when you go five years down the road, and and if Andre Blake turns out to be the star goalkeeper there, who thinks he could be, you can definitely point 
look back on this and say, she was going to say basically gave away Andre Blake for Gabriel Farfan. So who knows? The jury's still out. Maybe five years from now, Farfan's a star and Blake's Blake's a project. Mm -hmm. But for me right now, I think she was going to say it's a team that you have to look at. Uh, you know, one team that I was a little harsh on, I think Montreal. Uh, I, I, you know, I had heard gotten some information about Eric Miller and that Montreal might have seen him as a center back. You know, I spoke to some folks in Montreal and, and, and had some clarification on that. Miller is definitely someone they see as a right back of their future, but he's someone who could be a left back of the near future slash present. Uh, he's that versatile. He's a generation Adidas player. Uh, so I think, you know what, if you look at it that way, I can understand why they traded up? Uh, because for me, Eric Miller's not a center back. He is not someone who's going to be a center back in the in, in MLS. So when I heard that, I was like, "Well, if that's what they're drafting for, then that's definitely not a good move." But if they're drafting him to be a right back slash left back, then you know what? I think they did pretty well. Even though for me, you know, I thought they could have stayed where they were and taken Marco Franco, but obviously Montreal liked Eric Miller more than Marco Franco, who ended up with the Chicago Fire. Um, so that one for me was a little, you know, so, so Columbus crew, you know, I, I thought, uh, when they drafted Ben Sweat, I, you know, there were some other players on the board that I thought maybe were a little more, a little bit better options, but, you know, Ben Sweat has ties to Columbus. He's he played, I believe on the youth level with them. He's a natural left back and you know what, that's commodity. So I, I, I'm not going to crush them too much, but I thought there were other, there was better value on the board for them there. Pedro Ribeiro being one such player. I think when we look at that down the road, we'll ask ourselves, was Ben Sweat over Pedro Ribeiro really the, the wise call there? Um, and you know what? Hey, five years from now, if that proves to be the great call, then you can definitely let me know, hey, you know what? I was wrong. Uh, and, I and, 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 I, and I tell you what, Toronto FC, Toronto FC, um, hey, we all know they splashed cash recently, so they could pretty much – you know, throw darts at a board at the draft, and it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm not going to say they had a terrible draft. Uh, I thought they had some reaches. I mean, I thought Nick Hagelin, quality prospect, but I thought there were better center backs on the board. Uh, and then in the second round, I thought they could have done better with their pick in the second round. So um, throw when you take that into account mm -hmm. and you take the fact that Toronto gave away their natural first-round pick, number three overall, for what was not the best, the best stint ever uh, from Eric Hasley, then you have to look at that, that all together and say, you know what, it, probably, it was not a great 2014 draft for Toronto. Uh, well, Montreal Impact drafted uh, George Malky, so, I mean, pff, they should have easily been in the winner's category, Ivis. Well, there you go. That's one. Uh, well, you know what's funny? I mean, I know, <laughs> yeah, I know he's your boy. I know you wrote a story about him. Uh, it's funny because uh, I was talking to Frank Lopez down in Fort Lauderdale, and he was actually raving about Malky. Uh, so, at the time, it didn't honor me that Malky was actually draft eligible. If I had realized that, I might have thrown him on a big board. Uh, but he's definitely a player that the Clopas likes. He, you know, he Clopas was the, the the impact. We're definitely looking uh, for some 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 wing help, and and he's going to have every opportunity to make that team. Uh, it, the uh, third and fourth round, Ivis, will be held on Tuesday. Is as far as teams that are looking for players, who are, are there any kind of big names left that kind of surprised you that could go early on? I wouldn't say big names, but there's definitely some talent uh, still available. Uh, that you know, I slid and slid in and out, and and it's not anyone. The people that slid out of the first round, I don't think are, are, are too shocking. As, as I noted in our combine coverage, the defensive midfield position was definitely a position where players did not deliver. Uh, you know, JJ Koval was kind of the best of the bunch, and and it and it and it served them well because he was drafted very early by San Jose. A little a little 
almost too early for me. But still, he, he, he earned it. He played well in the combine. And he had a great college career. So it wasn't all about the combine. For those of you who get up in arms when you hear the teams maybe put a little too much weight on the combine, it's not really that teams put a ton of weight on the combine. But the combine is a factor. You can't just ignore it. Because you know what? When the pressure's on, when you're playing in front of 19 co- head coaches from MLS – uh, and against the top talent in the country, you got to be able to show something there. And if you don't show something, you don't show something there, then that's gonna that's gonna put questions in teams' heads. And that's what happened, with, especially at the defensive midfield position. Uh, you have several prospects there that I like. I like Joey Dillon from Georgetown. I thought he could, you know, going in before the combine, I thought he could have been a first round value. Um, you know, you have George, I believe it's pronounced Fochai from from UConn. A player who I thought was really good on day one of the combine, but then when he actually started playing his natural position, he just didn't stand out as a defensive midfielder. Uh, and then a player for me who uh, you know I, I, I like a lot at that at that position is Romina Bowie, uh, the Jamaican midfielder. He's a player again for those of you who don't get the concept of of draft value and, and what can hurt or help a player's draft stock. International players generally get downrated a bit because you know there's only a certain number of international spots on each roster, so. For, general, for, for teams drafting, if they have to choose between a player who's an American and a player who, is an, who has an international status that isn't an American or at least a green card holder, and if they're going to count it as an, an international player, teams are generally going to draft the American just because, if all things being equal, they're going to take the guy who does not take an international slot. Romina Bowie, unfortunately for him, he's Jamaican. He takes an international slot. That's one of the reasons I believe he slid out of the second round. I think he's absolutely talent-wise. Uh, an early second round value for me. So I think if a team team willing to take a chance on him could, could find themselves a steal. Uh, center backs, there were a ton taking on draft day. So, you, you know, some people might think, oh, there's not much left. But there's actually some quality there. Richie Marquez, a D3 player from Redlands, who some teams really liked at the combine, but maybe needed to see more of because, again, he played Division three. He didn't play against, you know, the top D1 talent and people don't have a lot of film on him. I think he's a player that's going to be a steal for somebody. Uh, Nick Walker was not at the combine. FDU center back again. He's another one who, not only uh, he's Trinidadian, so that 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 hurts in his stock as well. But he's also an older player. I believe he's 23. He might even be 24. But I'll say he's 23, which is a little older for for the draft prospects, and that hurt teams will value that as well. If you're an older player, they see you as someone who's who's kind of missed that window to really develop. So if you're 20, 21 years old. You're going to be more highly rated than if you're 23, 24 year old. So, but for me, Nick Walker stands out as well. Uh, uh, forwards, there's quite a few decent forwards that, that I think should should uh, merit uh, looks. Uh, Victor Chavez from UCLA, um, Mackenzie Pridham, who has Canadian citizenship and uh, you know is a, is a forward who's you know he's a bit of a banger up top and he's a physical guy. So he's someone who I, I think you know one of those teams that likes that physical play might grab in the later rounds. Wojciech uh, uh, Wojcik uh, is the player who, uh, again, another another big forward, someone to watch out for. Midfielders, quite a few. Aiden Quinn from Akron, who I know some people rated so highly, and everyone had in the first, you know some of these mock drafts had in the first round. Obviously, he didn't get drafted, so there you go for that. Uh, he's someone who's available, from what I understand, he's actually in England uh, trialing, and that might have that might scare some teams off. That might say, you know what, I'm not going to waste pick on him. From what I know, the Seattle Sounders love the guy. So don't be surprised if Seattle throws a late-round pick on Ian Quinn. Uh, A.J. Corrado, uh, the Indiana midfielder, again, another player who you might have seen on some draft boards as a first-round pick, not SBI's draft board, 
put some on the draft boards. He's someone who teams can take a flyer on. There's still some questions about just where he fits in positionally. He's not he's not someone you're going to hand uh, an attacking midfielder role to in MLS. So we're, he's not really a winger. So it's a little tough, but he's got the talent. He's skilled. He's a skilled player. Uh, so, you know, he's someone people will look at. Fabio Pereira, Michigan midfielder, another talent. Uh, he's got crazy skills. Kadim Chris, fast left winger, UMBC small school guy. Someone can take. Someone will take a fire on him. And his teammate, Pete Karinji, uh, UMBC forward, small school forward, quality player, makes great runs. And, uh, and I met his dad uh, in Philly during the draft, and he was a great guy. And uh, you know what? I'm a fan now. So Pete Karinji, he's someone I think someone's going to take a flyer on. Wow, Ivis, that was a ton of names. And as always, if anyone's looking for extra coverage, you can go to gold.com and soccerbyivis.net. Ivis, speaking of someone who likes to give their state shout-outs for players born from their state, Juan Agadello, Jersey, is heading over to Europe after being denied a few months ago from joining Stoke City. He's joining Dutch side Utrecht. What does this move mean for Juan Agadello, who... Might has an who who came off his best season in 2013 is looking to prove his you know U.S. men's national team stock for 2014. Well, just to clarify, Juan Agudelo was not born in New Jersey, but he was definitely raised in New Jersey, discovered in New Jersey, uh, and you know went into the Red Bulls Academy via New Jersey. Uh, but yes, Agudelo, his the saga is over. Uh, he was in limbo there for a good while, and it, it was unclear just where he was going to wind up after his work permit appeal. Was, was rejected by uh, the UK board, and uh, it looked like his Stoke City transfer would, would, would uh, completely go away. Uh, Stoke stuck with it, and uh, they 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 figured out another way for him to, to, to be signed, and they've signed him, and they've loaned him out to FC Utrecht, and I think it's a good move for him. When you think about where, places where Agudelo could have wound up, I actually thought, I actually wasn't so sure about the Premier League as a destination for him, but I think the, the, the Dutch League... The Eredivisie could be it could be a blessing uh, for him. Just the you know the the, mm-hmm. the style of play in that league. Obviously, I know people like to talk all the time about how quote unquote easy it is to score goals there. But Agudelo with the physical style, his combination of speed and power, he's someone who on the right team he he could definitely score some goals. And Utrecht, one of the lower scoring teams in that league, obviously they're bringing him in because they need help in their attack. But it's a league where he can be seen. It's a league where he can earn some respect on the, on the other side of the, of the of the pond. And if he does well there, you know what? Who knows where he can end up next? Uh, I'm still a little skeptical about just what happens next for him in terms of Stoke City because, you know, is he really going to get his work permit after six months in the Netherlands? I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. But I do think the Dutch League is a good place for him to land. I know there were a lot of rumors about other places he could wind up. Heard everything from Belgium to Denmark, even you know I had sources tell me Spain was a possibility. That there's some teams in Spain that that they were you know taking a look at him. I, I know from what one you know a source close to Agudelo told me that Turkey was was definitely uh, there was definitely an opportunity in Turkey, a uh, pretty lucrative offer in Turkey. So he had some options. Uh, he was not short of options. But I think Utrecht as a place for a player, a young player, 21 years old. Coming off his best season mm-hmm. with, all, with the talent that he has, I think it's a great place for him. As far as the World Cup, though, I think you know what? It's I think that might be a bridge too far. I think he's been out of the mix for a while now, and, and I just think there are other players that have moved ahead of him. Unless he scores ten goals in the next three months and just destroys the Dutch league, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough for him to get back in. But again, as long as he gets playing time in the Dutch league, if he scores some goals and proves himself, 
Jurgen Klinsmann has shown he's not afraid to give people chances. Well, what do you think is a realistic approach for Juan Agadello in, in the league? I mean, do you think he's going to see the immediate success that Josie Altador and Jaron Hansen ha- 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 has had? I don't know why I started right there, but has had. Well, look, for the first thing anyone has, looking at that situation, you have to understand it. Josie Altador and now Aaron Johansson are, are playing for an AZ team that's an attack-minded team. They have quality in the midfield, especially when Josie Altador was there. Uh, they had tons of attacking talent in the midfield. They still do, but, you know, obviously they they, they, uh, they lost their best their best player when Josie Altador was there, Adam Mayer, who's moved on to PSV. Great, talented, young Dutch player. Uh, but they, they they are stacked with playmakers that create chances for them. Uh, not to take anything away from the goals they scored. I mean, these guys still have to put the goals away. But, you know, Agudelo is not going to a team that's stacked with attacking talent in the midfield. He's probably going to have to work a lot harder for his goals. But, it's again, it's the Dutch league. Not to say it's an easy league, but if you're quality forward, you can find goals. Uh, well, speaking of quality forwards, Aaron Johansson scored – is 19th in all competitions. Ivis, that match against Ukraine for the U.S. men's national team, do you think that's a good time for Aaron Johansson to get a full 90 minutes? Well, I don't know if that matters. I don't think 90 minutes matters, but I think starting him next to Altidore is something that I, I think I'd like to see and I, and I think a lot of people would like to see, just to see how they fit together. Do you play him in a 4-4-2? Do you go 4-2-3-1? Play him on the wing? Play him opposite and have him be kind of an inverted winger? What do you do with Johansson? Do you start him? I think you do. I think you get him on the field. I know some people will say, yeah, bench out to the door. I'm sorry. I'm not in that camp. See what you want about his struggles at Tunnel. The guy's still someone you need to pencil in as a starting forward. I'd like to see Altador and Johansson start together in the Ukraine. But, again, you know, that's still a little bit away. I think it's good to see Johansson get off to the start that he did, and especially his team to get off the start that they got off to because, you know, they ended this. Think about this. They were in first place. In the Dutch league at one point, uh, only, I don't know, not, less than two months ago, and they completely fell fell off. Uh, they lost four in a row going into the winter break. They dropped down to eighth place. Now they've gotten the win. They started the, the, the second half of the season with a win, moved up to seventh, and you, you hopefully like to see that as kind of the start of, of, of a turnaround for Azed because, you know what, uh, it's only going to help Johansson's confidence and help his chances if his team is playing better. And down in the English second division, Onyewu, Gucci Onyewu, made his league debut for Sheffield Wednesday. Great to see him back on the field. Well, I gotta say, I, it, it's it, it got it's almost a little tough to keep track of just where he is. At a, you know, it seems like he's bounced around so much in the past six months. But it is good to see him back on the field. His first start, I believe, since May when he was in Malaga, uh, and you know, by all accounts, he played well. He, he upset up a goal, and and you know, if he can go there and get regular playing time. As I say, with a lot of these guys who have had previous uh, previous stints as first teamers, as starters with the national team, you always have to say if they can play their way, if they can get regular playing time, they can earn their way back into this into, into the mix. And I think he is a player. I know some people are really oh, down on him. You don't think you don't think that Goodson or Gonzalez or Matt Beasley are ahead of him on the depth chart? Well, this you need more than two center backs, and Matt Beasley and Omar Gonzalez say what you want. You can say they're the starters, right? Yeah. Let's just pencil them as in this, as pencil them in okay. as the starters. Beyond that, there are no sure things. I'm sorry, Clarence Goodson is not an absolute lock of a guy that you absolutely have to bring with you to Brazil. He, he has shown some good qualities. He, he he can give you something, but again, for me, if Gucci was playing regularly and can get 
close to his, his, his you know, best form. Not even his best form, but, you know, he had a stint when he was playing in Portugal uh, before the Malaga move where, where we, he, he looked good. He was playing at a good level. And if he can get to that Onyewu, for me, he can easily be the number three center back in the pool. I, I, I don't think that's a stretch by any means. Uh, so, you know what? Whether he's the number four center back, whether he's the number three center back, if he can get consistent starts between now and May, he is absolutely someone Klinsman will have to take a look at. Oh, man, I he, I would have Goodson. For me personally, I think Goodson has way more quality, especially in the attack. Well, listen, and, and, if, and the mistakes you, are less with Goodson than I feel if, with Onyewu. If you want to only go by what you've seen in the past two years, three years, sure. But I tell you what, he had his share of injuries. But listen, the level that he played at in Portugal, when he played in Portugal, when he played with Sporting, he that level was higher level than than Goodson has been at. In uh, on the club level for some time, mm-hmm. it's easy to remember Goodson because yes, he's played in in, in games against the Concacaf level competition and 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 you know done pretty well. Anyewu hasn't had that opportunity, obviously for injuries, for form. Uh, when when he got his opportunity, uh, was it two years ago uh, in the second round of World Cup qualifying in early in that year, early in that summer, he didn't look good. The the thing is, if you remember those pretty poor performances of course you're gonna say why in the world would anyone think about him but me i have a little bit of a longer memory of of what he can give you i remember the gucci from 2007 the gucci from 2008 2009 before he blew up before the torn patellar tendon before his his knee went out and even after his knee went out again when he played in portugal when he was getting regular playing time there he was playing at a good level that gucci that gucci can absolutely make the world cup team Book it. <laughs> Book it. Um, you're right, Ivis. I mean, if, if Anyebu can get back to that, we will see. But it's to be determined. Hey, 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 hey. I'm not saying you will. I know. Just you just said good. book it. Everyone remember this. This is SBI Show 106. Yes, if he can get back to that sporting club Portuguese Oguchi Anyebu, he can absolutely make this World Cup team, right. especially when you think about it. Aaron, Aaron, John Anthony Brooks, the guy who you know, some people in uh, in the in the American soccer landscape were were portraying as the savior at center back. Where's he? He's not. You know, he's. He, I don't know if he's someone who's locked in at, at, as a World Cup player at this point. So I think you know what, Anu could get there. But, you know, like you said, it remains to be seen. He needs games. He needs games. Yeah, well, I mean, what happens if, uh, you know, Brad Evans, you know, locks down the right back spot and then, you know, you have Cameron possibly center back? I don't know. Lots of things could happen, Ivis. Lots in, there could be injuries. You know what? You know, we have lots of time to talk about all of these things. This, however, is the end of the show, Ivis. We have no more to talk about or we're tired. I'm not sure which one it is, but I'll, I'll go with that. There's nothing else to talk about. I think it's just you're tired. I think you're... <laughs> I think your new relationship is uh, wearing me down. That is not that is not wearing <laughs> me down. The 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 extra work is wearing me down, Ivis. You know that. Oh, uh, here we go. I know you saw me on TV. If anyone wants to know, Ivis saw me on TV <laughs> and gave me a compliment. I couldn't. I was shocked when Ivis gave me a compliment. I gotta say, Garrett's not bad on TV. He's a little doing too much with the hand motions. Yeah, but, what I, what was wrong with not, the hand motions? Because your hands aren't even on the camera. Like the, the, the <laughs> camera was up on your. In your face, and you're like doing hand motions that no one can see. No, but it was good. It was good. I thought you were better than the guy that you were on with. So there you go. Well, the guy I was on with wore like a hoodie, and I wore like a my suit was yeah. my my yeah. that was the that was the suit I had custom made in Thailand. So it's 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 you awesome. Had, you had your Don Johnson Miami Vice uh, blazer on. Was great. Yeah, when I was in Thailand, we wanted to get fitted suits, right? So 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 the guy measures us, and the guy looks at goes, "What type of suit do you want?" And my buddy looks at the guy, and goes, "We want party suits." 
So it's my party suit. <laughs> Thailand party suit. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the suit is unbelievable. It's a hundred bucks. It's. I mean, if anyone goes to Thailand, please, or like, or an Asian country, like, get Abs- a tailored outfit. Absolutely. See, that's what, if. If speaking of World Cup trips, yeah. One of my one of my regrets of the my trip to South Korea was not getting a, oh. a tailored suit because South Korea. Uh, they, they obviously they make some great suits there. Obviously, it wouldn't it wouldn't fit me by now anyway. But if I ever get back to South Korea, I will, I will definitely try to get uh, a suit at a great time in South Korea. By the way, yeah, man, you got to do it. I mean, it was like the best experience ever. Like we walked in and like they had beer and food for us. We were there for like two hours. It was it's was freaking awesome, man. I mean, a suit like that in America would cost probably a G. And I mean. Yeah, hundred bucks. Uh, I, I, not the one I saw you wearing. I don't think that's a G anywhere. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? That suit is net, dude. That suit is clean, dude. Uh, all right. Please, I trust. For, for everyone who wants to see the suit, just follow Garrett on uh, on Twitter and look on his timeline. You'll see it. Or yeah, or just you know go to the greatest Arizona soccer website of all time, azkicksit dot com. No, I just, hey, all right. No, that no, wraps no, up no, the no, show, no, no, my no, man. No plugs. No that wraps plugs. up the show. You okay. have a good night. <laughs> All right, Ivis. Right, I, I, will, I will talk to you later, all right, my man? All right, we're going to have to delete all this. <laughs> no, we're not. We're keeping all this. This all this, all this stays on the show. But wait, 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 seriously, though, do, do we covered everything. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, how about Megan Rapino? No, I'm just kidding. Well, we'll, we'll, touch, we'll touch on that on the next show. Oh, really? Okay. Women's soccer. I'm down for that. Yeah, we got to get get to it. We're covering it more on the site, and and I think uh, it's getting a pretty positive reaction. Caitlin Murray, one of our new writers, doing a great job. So yeah. there you go. She is she's doing an excellent job. Yes, uh, you are right on that. All right, Ivis, uh, you have a good night, man, and I will talk to you later this week. Well, Ivis and I will also do an SBI Q and A later this week. So everyone, don't forget send your questions in on Twitter hashtag Ask the SBI Show. Also, if anyone wants to give us an iTunes review, we Ivis and I would would not mind at all. Despite this rant, please give us a good rating. If you, if, <laughs> if you feel we're deserving, I think we've we, I think we've actually had a pretty good run of shows. Uh, I apologize, we weren't we didn't get uh, guests for this show, so we've kind of broken our streak here. We had a pretty good run of guests, but you know we'll get back on that horse, and, and hopefully later in the week we'll have some more guests. Down for that. All right, Davis, I'll talk to you later. All right, bud. All right, man. And as always, everyone, thank you for listening. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>